Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Partner Buzz, the AWS partner-focused podcast for technical and business leaders within our AWS Partner Network community. My name is Richard Wilmot, and in addition to being your host for today, I'm a Partner Solutions Architect here in Sydney. In today's show, I'm joined by Wayne Hayes, CEO of Walk Technology. Walk was recently recognized as AWS Global Well-Architected Partner of the Year for 2023 at AWS reInvent in Las Vegas, and is also one of our first well-architected validated partners. And in today's show, we're going to dive deeply into that achievement and see how Walk operationalized well-architected best practices to drive their scale and growth. Wayne, it's really great to have you with us. Thanks, Richard. It's uh, great to be here. Fantastic. Um, so to kick us off, Wayne, um, can you give us a brief snapshot of Walk, Technolo Walk Technologies, um, your, your typical customer size, you know, the sort of businesses that you deal with? Um, what's, a, what's a snapshot of, of, of you and your business? Yeah, definitely. Well, let's start with the name. Uh, Volk actually means cloud in multiple languages, including Afrikaans, Dutch, so forth. Mm. Um, we're based in Keysborough, Melbourne, but we've got customers right. all over the country. Um, our typical client is SMB, 5 right. to 25 users is our sweet spot. Mm -hmm. But we do have customers that are much smaller. We have customers that are much, much larger as well. Um, we don't really align to any specific vertical uh, because we believe that our solution caters for all industries and verticals. Right, but you do work with a lot of uh, different types of customers. It's not just these um, these these small businesses. You also work with ISVs as well, don't you? Indeed, we we cater for ISVs with our ISV accelerator, um, mm. and essentially what we do is we take their products and we. Uh, work with them so that they can easily deploy those accounts and their products so that they can satisfy their products. Right. So really, it's it's quite interesting that the fact you're able to to meet the needs of quite a diverse range of customers. But I think let's uh, let's head back to our topic. We're talking all things well architected uh, today. But um, what does well architected mean to you and and Welk in particular? Well architected has come a long way with us. Um, mm -hmm. We were looking, we were searching for a way of um, building the, the, the bare bones, the skeleton that we base right. our business on. Mm -hmm. uh, and we looked at well-architected and that definitely fit the bill. So we actually took well-architected and basically made it the fundamentals of how we operate. So it's um, it's part of everything we do. Um, not only does it, we run our business decisions through well-architected principles. Mm -hmm. um, we engage projects through well-architected principles. And in fact, every customer that we onboard, uh, we do a well-architected review for. We also run well-architected reviews on ourselves. So really well-architected, as as our um, listeners are probably aware, is, is the um, body of best practices for architecture and operations on, on, well on the AWS cloud. And really, I think... The key message we'd love our customers and partners to understand is that really it's it's a way to help us understand how to make trade-offs, you know, those pros and cons of those decisions that we make while building systems in AWS. And from what you're saying, it's also how you build your business as well, because your business is very much one of those systems which you you have largely built on AWS. Is that the case? It is indeed. Uh, we've got no infrastructure here. Um, mm -hmm. All of our staff work uh, remotely, and they only come to the office once uh, a week. Um, mm -hmm. We also have offshore, offshore staff um, in the Philippines, and what that allows us to do is everyone has the same um, working environment, mm -hmm. and 
because it's all well architected means that it just works doesn't matter where you are mm -hmm. um and it also allows us to use that those well architected principles um to meet our current iso 27001 requirements uh, right. which is again um it's just a natural evolution from well architected Okay, and I think that's really something which I'd, I'd love to to dig into a little bit later in the show. But um, let's let's reel reel that back a little bit. So, well architected for you and uh, and your business partners really kind of made sense to build that business around. But why in particular? Why was it well architected that that gave you the um, as you said that that skeleton of the of that business? Well, I think businesses that are not built on well architected um they're missing something everybody right. needs that core um the rules of engagement you know mm -hmm. how you're going to run your business um without that core i think you know people get lost um processes get lost and it breaks down so that's why we've gone with well architected and it, it well architected is also very much common sense to us Right. So okay. it's not like we are going back to the rule book with every single decision and going, mm -hmm. okay, cool, that lines up to this and that lines up to that. Um, because our mindset is so aligned with well-architected, our decisions naturally are well-architected. will flow from that. Okay. Exactly, yeah. So that's that's really interesting, right? Because very often we talk about, um, at AWS, we talk about the, the benefits of understanding where AWS can help you with that undifferentiated heavy lifting. And I think what you've described is really how um, best practices from the well-architected framework are very much there to be consumed when you need to seek some external guidance on decision-making, um, as opposed to having to go back to those first principles. By embedding that well-architected uh, methodology around your business, naturally you're aligning to, to best practices operationally as well. Is uh, is is the way I, I I'm 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 hearing this. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. So, um, well architected, we understand matters to customers. We we talk very clearly about how the six pillars of well architected, you know, relating to, you know, um, operational excellence, uh, um, security, uh, performance, reliability, you know, cost optimization, um, and and sustainability Th these are things which customers care deeply about and i think having the well architected framework to to review customer workloads makes a huge amount of sense but why are these relevant to a business because i think this is often where there's a bit of a disconnect Re it seems that well architected matters to customers but why you as a partner do you find well architected something compelling well, I think if you're running a business, um, you only look at one part of it. So you'll have the CTO that looks at, you know, operational and uh, and those kinds of things. And then you'll have right. the CFO looking at cost optimization. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're looking at well-architected as a whole, you really bring all the facets of the business into, into one and you look at the whole thing from start to finish. Um, and even for a small business like ours, we're, we're really small. We, you know, mm -hmm. we, we're only a team of eight at the moment. Um, we benefit massively right. from well architected. So it's, it's not just, Hey, let's look at, you know, how we're going to make the, the, the operations more mature or how mm -hmm. we're going to improve them or how can we save the extra $10 a month? Right. It's not about that. You have to look at the whole thing holistically and then incorporate it into what you do. So it really comes back to being able to identify those trade-offs that you're making so that you can make good decisions that are well-informed. 
Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I think another thing which uh, which also occurs to me as as you were speaking is um, customers often see one workload. So being well architected is obviously absolutely critical for for their workload that, that they're deeply invested with. But it strikes me that if you've got a well architected delivery process. Or from from what you've described previously, as we're preparing for the show, you're actually leveraging well architected as as the governance for your delivery process. It seems to me that you're driving a really quite important scale function because it seems to me that you're driving well architected outcomes on every single customer engagement as well, because it seems to be much easier driving these well architected outcomes by having a well architected business as well. So, what are some of those key best practices that you find operationally really have helped you do that? Yeah, definitely. So essentially what we've done is we have got uh, a basic uh, template that we follow. Right. So if the engagement is a migration or whether it is a uh, end-user compute um, mm-hmm. environment that needs to be set up, it doesn't matter right. what it is, the basis of what we do is the same, which means that right. we always check the basics. Right. Every okay. single part of the well-architected um bones gets checked Mm. every time and gets enforced and even if it's an account that we've already checked we check those standards again and you always check against the standards and when when you update the templates obviously the next time you you touch that client or you touch that uh, project you check those standards again and by doing that and using automation we can always ensure that the outcome is going to be great so let's let's double click on that i think Automation is something we speak an awful lot about in Well Architected. You know, we know that automation is, is something which is a key best practice um, across the the operational excellence pillars, a key best practice across, you know, um, security, reliability as well. Automation allows us to get the same outcomes repeatedly to drive that consistency. And from what you've said, it allows you to actually scale across multiple of those customer accounts that you manage way more effectively because you've got that consistency built in and every time you go back to your customer, um, as best practices evolve, are you then able to reapply those best practices when you touch that customer again? You know, you revisit that well architect review to to make sure that you you continually uplift those customers. Yeah, and that's one of the key things. Um, basically, right. essentially, what we do is as part of our well architected uh, reviews and the projects we do, um, mm-hmm. we apply our well architected automations to these accounts. Right. What that allows us to do is uh, monitoring by default. Um, we set okay. up all the alerting, the dashboards, and all that kind of stuff. So we've got a our own knock. Um, mm-hmm. It's custom. And essentially right. what happens is, let's say, for example, uh, you come to me as a customer. You want mm-hmm. a, an AWS account, and we're going to put, I don't know, something simple, a single web server in there. Okay. That account gets created by automation, which means right. that any engineer can do it. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be... Uh, somebody with a professional cert. Right. The actual automation has been checked, verified, uh, and run hundreds of times before, so we know um, the exact outcome. Right. Um, and then all of the well-architected standards are set by default as the account deploys, and it just automatically appears into our, mo- our knock monitoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, the knockinator, who's an individual um as in a human, and he looks at the knock. <laughs> awesome. And <Yep. laughs> um, so the alerting and all of that is automatic, but then he looks yeah. at the knock for all of those things that um, automations don't pick up. 
So, right. you know, something may not be in alerting state yet, but there may be indicators that there's but it something. might be. Exactly. So that's what you use Nokonator for. And he goes and checks periodically for all of those types of things. Um, then through using automations, that means that we can use um, less experienced staff to roll out the same standards over right. and over and over again. And then let's say, for example, you've been with us for a year, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. Um, and at that point there, we've done a well-architected review for another customer and we see, okay, cool. Uh, this has changed, the specific thing. We can right. then take that change, roll it into our organization, and that will automatically filter down to all of our customers. So it's continuously improving and staying up to well-architected standards. So that's a really great point, which I'd love to unpack a bit more. Um, we know that uh, well-architected evolves over time. Uh, it reflects best practices. It reflects the work that we've got some phenomenal folks at, at AWS who, who are consistently you know, investing time in, in developing and uncovering and working with their customers to create new best practices. That's reflected by the fact that the well-architected framework will be, you know, continually is updated as well. So are you telling me that by going back to customers, you're able to evolve them so they continually remain in alignment with best practice. Yeah. And okay. what we do with that is also our dashboards and monitoring are specifically mm -hmm. customized to well-architected standards. So right. when we look at it, um, we're continuously evaluating them against well-architected standards. Okay. So it's and not just then, a once-off. No, it's not a once-off. It's continuous. And that's what the managed services are all about. Because right. you need okay. to continuously manage these customers and these environments. So effectively, the longer your customers are with you, the more value they get as their workloads continue to evolve is, um, I mean, that sounds fantastic because you're providing them with more value over time rather than potentially front loading that contract with the effort that you might put into migrate them. Um, so I think that becomes really powerful when you look at um, how you can evolve into a next generation managed service where you actually demonstrate that continuous value so your customers are, are really enjoying that value and getting potentially more value over time um, at the same price point and, and getting the benefit of those improvements that you're able to apply elsewhere. And that seems that seems almost too good to be true. So how does how that actually work out in practice? <laughs> well, our customers love it. Um, it means that we as a MSP can take what we learn and fix on one customer and apply it to right. basically everyone. Um, so why is that important to you guys as as MSP? Well, it reduces cost for us, which means right. that at the end of the day, we can take on more customers. Okay. Uh, as we take on more customers, um, obviously our profitability um, rises, mm -hmm. um, and that that's important for everyone. Um, but what it also means is that through automation, we can right. um, we can touch a lot more clients and resolve a lot more problems. Mm -hmm. um, without the customers even knowing there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so so it's kind of a virtuous cycle, really, because what, what you described was obviously great for the customer because they're getting a better workload that continues to evolve and improve over time. It's good for yourselves because it allows you to scale as well because now driving that consistency, you only are looking at probably a very small amount of deviation between customers. So that consistency allows you to roll out that automation and reduce that cost of management so you can push more value bound to customers. Is is that it in a nutshell? 
Yes. Uh, everybody uses the word snowflake. And right. uh, we hate snowflakes. As mm-hmm. soon as you have snowflakes, that adds cost to to everything. Uh, it okay. means that yep. your automations break. It means mm-hmm. that you need more senior staff to run those environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, because essentially, if you've got everything set to standards, you know what's going on in that account. And if something breaks, you know what has broken in the past, so you know where to go look. You know, there's, right. there's standards, there's playbooks that you can follow. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's an account that has been snowflaked and uh, you know every man and his dog has been in there and made changes, where do you start? Right. That's it becomes very difficult just to find. So you've actually so the dis- the discovery process of supporting these customers is probably going to get really cost prohibitive, and presumably if they are, are smaller uh, customers. They potentially don't have the resources to to fund that level of investigation and management, so potentially they're left exposed, which I which I think is 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 a bit troubling. But by by driving that continuous improvement and consistency, they're getting a much better outcome because of that uh, ability to leverage both automation, consistency, the same playbooks, um, etc. I think that's that's amazing. Um, so with the um, with that continuous improvement process. That obviously feeds into um, your automation, and obviously that that that, that is a, a great part of well architected that we talk about this. Um, but you will have customers, I'm sure, that come to you with unique needs, which maybe you don't have existing automation for. Um, how do you handle those customers? Because potentially, where you've got a customer coming in, you don't necessarily know that you're going to have another customer with the same problem down the track. Where do you where do you decide to automate versus I'm going to actually build something manually for the first time. How does your decision-making process uh, work and, and how does that align to well-architected? Well, if we take ISV, for example, with our ISV accelerator, what we do uh-huh. there is the first build that we do with them, we do right. manually and we document. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The But obviously setting up the account and that kind of stuff will always be done with automations. Okay. So we're just talking about building the product and so forth. Um, then the second account that we build, we go through and we do a certain amount of automation and we work with the customer to get it from where the automation ends to where the product actually needs to, to be where, when we're done. Okay. And then by the third account, we automate everything. Well, right. as much as we can. Um, mm-hmm. When you're in a, there's the scenario where too much automation is a bad thing because you'll be chasing your tail forever. So, you know, the whole 90-10 rule, automate mm-hmm. 90%, make 10% playbooks. Right. Okay. Which is really interesting because that that then keeps you in the loop and you're automating, instead of the entire process, components of the process, which I think, I know that um, Welk makes extensive use of AWS services such as uh, Service Catalog to, yes. to actually build up repeatable infrastructure and deploy that in. Talk to us about how that works. Well, that enables us to use our engineers that can then go out and deploy an account. And then if the customer Mm -hmm. needs uh, FSX, they can just deploy FSX if they need a SQL server or RDS. Um, That's just a module. They can just run it and uh, it gets provisioned for them. Uh, All encryption, all of those kinds of things are already in there because that's part of the automation. So the interesting thing is that I'm starting to pick up as we as we're talking, Wayne, is that not only 
are your processes in deep alignment with well-architected uh, best practices, specifically operational excellence best practices, but also those the the infrastructure and those workloads that you are deploying as composable components within a customer account. You also have well-architected reviews for those, so you can ensure that you've got well-architected alignment for those components as well as you build them, as I understand it. Is that the case? That is correct, yes. Right. So not only are you deploying well-architected solutions, you've got a well-architected process that wraps around that, which from what you've explained actually is a great accelerator as well. Um, talk to us about measuring adoption and, and impact, because this is something I think you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the importance of. And I know that you've called me out on this a few times where you say, wait, this is just well-architected because ultimately you've got to close the loop so you can actually build feedback processes to continuously improve. So essentially what we do is we look at tickets as they come in. So everything has to right. happen via a ticket. So a ticket comes in uh, and that starts the process. Mm -hmm. So when a ticket gets logged and there's you know the same ticket more than once, then we start looking at is there a is there a pattern here? Is this something that we can fix? Okay. Um, then we have a look at how long it takes an engineer to fix said problem. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's something really, really simple. Uh, I don't know, a, a root account usage. Is that something right. that we need to build a process around? Or is that okay. something that we can automate away? Is it something we can alert on? And then mm -hmm. is that the end of the action? Do we need to create a P1 around that? So that is something that is uh, very much customer specific, but right. we can have rules around it, we can have automations, and we can actually make that process easier on our engineers and hence make it a more uh, streamlined process. But the great thing from what you've described is that your ticketing system is also part of your observability because if you can look across your tickets you can then start to take those patterns to then think about where is the commonality that you are seeing the same problem multiple times. So that's a really great way that you're actually leveraging that as a source of information to then think about how you can build iterative improvements, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and what we also do is when we have our ticket meetings, um, mm -hmm. we have a look at if a customer specifically has, let's say, more than three tickets and it's uh, real issues right. not just you know a, a, a benign alert right uh, it's real issues then that automatically triggers a communication with a customer right. as opposed to just answering them in tickets and so forth we have a meeting with the customer and we go okay right. cool okay. we've got these three issues how do we resolve that without right. you know going down a rabbit hole with each one of them let's look at it as a whole because there's obviously more than one issue here interesting so you're able to collate a more holistic view of, of potentially a single root cause that has a number of different facets to it that ordinarily will be generating tickets in isolation. Exactly, yeah. Nice, okay, I think that makes a huge amount of sense. Because um, really the, the reality is that overly complex systems can be super difficult to troubleshoot. And I think we, we touched on this earlier, how your automation is 90%, so it automates in chunks. You've got a very nice, easily composable unit of, of your deployments, of your automation. So, you seem to have just uh, either intentionally evolved or, um, or, or or through you know good fortune and good engineering. You seem to have arrived at the right granularity of that automation within your business and for your customers that enables you to 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 affect change really well. Um, because it seems like you can actually accelerate what your customers get out of that engagement purely because you've got the right level of automation that isn't overly complex but is complex enough to get 
some pretty complicated or, or complex tasks um, carried out. And specifically around that support piece is interesting because it seems like for the work that you that you've done, you've shifted left that complexity. So you've understood how you can reduce the burden of complexity on your engineers by shifting that up the pipeline to make sure that your templates are well architected to begin with. Was that an intentional decision? It certainly was intentional, yes. Um, during COVID, we had the misfortune of being a small business, right. which meant that um, senior engineer uh, salaries um, yeah. were very contentious. And mm -hmm. as a small business, we can't afford to pay the prices for senior engineers that um, right. that were the going rate. So but you still we, need the skills within you your business. You still need those skills. You right. still need those jobs doing. So what we did is um, my business partner, James, is absolutely amazing at uh, mm. at building all these automations. Right. So we went and looked at all of the common tasks, and we automated all of those common tasks. Mm. And then every time a new task comes up, how many times have we done this? Okay, cool. We've done this two, three times mm. over various clients. This is obviously something we need to automate. So it goes into the library. We've got another artifact. Interesting. And which again kind of comes back to understanding the 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 cost and impact of effort, which is very much a cost optimization pillar of well architected best practice as exactly. well. Exactly. And and the good thing wow. is as as these things change and we get feedback, okay, this automation uh, it works, but afterwards we still need to go do this part or that part, you know. Mm -hmm. That might trigger a, a re-review of that automation because maybe there's you know there's something new that's been added to the functionality of that service. Right. That needs so to be put um, into the automation. So let's let's dive a little bit deeper on that as well, because continuous review is obviously a really important part of, of well architected. Um I know that you explained to me how your um your internal workloads are also subject to that continuous review. It isn't just you know, your, your custom workload, there's actually the tools that you use every day, such as your, I think you spoke to me about your, the, the, the SaaS system. platform. Yeah, the actual yeah. ticketing that you use for, yes. for uh, talk to us yeah, how so, the, so we go story. through everything. Um, we have regular management meetings. Yeah. And during these meetings, we, we, we question everything. So right. we have a look at it and we go, our accounting system, mm -hmm. is that still relevant today? Is okay. it what we need? Is so it nothing's still, out of scope. Nothing's out of scope. Is it still best to breed? Okay. Uh, is it does it still meet our cost requirements, mm -hmm. etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so recently we looked at our PSA system, which is our ticketing system, mm -hmm. um, and that also runs our our customers' contracts and so forth. So if they've got a managed agreement, it's in the PSA right. system, and it's linked to the tickets. And that okay. means that if they if they're on an all all you can eat type of uh, managed service, um, the the time the engineers spend just go right. against that contract, okay. and it doesn't generate additional billing. Mm -hmm. um, so we looked at that system, and uh, we thought, you know what? It's so clunky. It's wasting so mm -hmm. much of our engineers' time. Let's have a look at an alternative solution. So we found an alternative solution mm -hmm. that actually comes bundled with a whole bunch of additional um, bits of software and functionality that is actually very beneficial to us and our customers, which means that we've now got a more integrated product. Right. And it actually performs better than the previous products we were using. So, Fantastic. For example, it incorporates uh, a new antivirus, which is a right. new best of breed EDR versus the previous one we we're using, mm -hmm. which was a standard antivirus. 
So mm -hmm. again, it's continuous improvement that we look at for ourselves, but then trickles down to the customers as well. Which is great because it's not so much of a trickle down. It's actually quite a, it's quite a flow really, because thinking yeah. about all of that is possible because you applied that well-architected reflection of that um, continuous review to your own processes, which ultimately benefited your sales benefits, your customers as well, which I think is exactly, a great story. Yeah. Um, so obviously we've, we've touched on a number of, uh, a number of aspects. I'd love just to wrap up this section of the conversation before we move on to compliance. Um, so well-architected really is is something that has contributed to your scale and growth, as you've said, and, and as a small business, not just your survival, but your success through COVID, I think. Um, it's really not necessarily something you sell. It's something that you you do and something you are. And yep. is there any one aspect that's more important or are they both sides of the same coin, in your opinion? I think it's definitely two sides of the same coin. Right. Um, yeah, you can't separate them. Interesting. Um, let's let's cycle back to to compliance. Um, ISO 27001 is obviously a, a growing concern for a number of our customers and having yep. service providers such as yourselves who who are compliant obviously provides that certainty to them. Um, why is it important to to you? And, and how does Well Architected plug into that story? So we have been looking at the type of clients that we have and where the world is going. And mm -hmm. we realized that the world is going towards compliance. We're all going to have to have some form of compliance as time goes by. So we looked at what is applicable to us, and obviously that's 27001 and SOC 2. So right. we've, we engaged a, uh, I like to call them a compliance uh, wrangler. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, and that's a consultant. And right. we had a look at, we went through our entire business, and we had a look at uh, how we um, align to the ISO standard. Okay. One of the things just to, to, to mention here is that Will Architect is obviously not a compliance framework. It, it, it's a it, it's a collection Correct. of best practices. Okay, yes. right, fine. So just to make sure everyone, uh, our audience is across that. But yep. how does it relate? How do you find that Will Architected relates to ISO 27001? Because this is well, quite an interesting a, story too. That's it? the interesting thing. As we, as we map these through as to what we do as a business and how we map that through to the ISO requirements, yeah. uh, we figured out that we were pretty much there. There was not a lot we needed. Wow. I mean, normally and ISO is like a major exercise. It's a major exercise, but for us it wasn't. And then we oh, took okay. a step back and we thought, why isn't this, this seems too easy. Are we cheating here? What's going on? Yeah. And we did a little bit of uh, backtracking and a little bit of special Excel work. And we mm -hmm. worked out that about 57% of ISO 27001 is directly and indirectly affected by well-architected. Wow, and okay. That's remarkable. That is, yeah, it was it was quite a high number. I didn't expect it to be that high, but mm -hmm. um, essentially by being on AWS, um, using well-architected standards, right. and sp also uh, using Workspace as our end-user compute solution, mm -hmm. um, you get to 57% compliance right out the box. So it also means that going forward, we can provide this to customers who want to be compliant, um, and then they can work with uh, a, a compliance wrangler and then an auditor who understands well what well-architected means and how IT works. Mm -hmm. And they can reduce their time to market for ISO or time to compliance with ISO drastically. We're talking a couple of months versus 12 months. Wow. Okay. So it's, so it's actually had a considerable impact to your business. Is that because fundamentally 
although ISO 27001 as a compliance framework is very different from well-architected, there's a lot of commonality and intent, isn't there? There is, there is. And if you've integrated well-architected into your business, um, I mean, indirectly, if we if we had to look at it um, and say, okay, cool, well, well-architected actually influenced that decision as well, it's probably higher than 57%. Wow, okay. Yep. If you've, if you've, ingrained it within your business then you're mm. going to make the right right decisions anyway so your percentage keeps going up and up and up that's fascinating i think that's definitely something which we need to have you back on another show to actually dig into that journey and and, and have us have us understand a little bit more about that process because that'll be something really interesting to um a lot of our a lot of our listeners um as we as we start closing up uh, on today's show um what are some of the things that helped you on the journey and, and, and accelerated your well-architected journey as an organization? How can how can our listeners get started? Well, obviously, the uh, business integration checklist is the first cab off the rank. Right. Um, Talk us through what that is, Wayne. Well, that is a checklist of how well you've integrated uh, your well-architected standards into your business. Okay. Uh, yep. Are you and that's something from the well-architected partner program, which exactly, provides yeah. that. Okay. Have right. you implemented these things at the grassroots level or mm-hmm. are you just saying that you have? So that's, it's kind of almost it. like a well-architected re- uh, review of your of your well-architected practice or your business to see where that level of integration sits and exactly. contains improvement plans as well, much like a well-architected review. Yep, exactly. Great. Uh, okay. It's definitely very well, uh, very much worth the effort to do that. Okay, fantastic. And and that next point, you, you touched on automation. Um, is that another key aspect that you'd say is is like the next uh, the next step to explore? Yeah, I mean, if you're doing well architected reviews uh, for your customers or even for yourself, mm-hmm. um, automate, automate, automate. It's definitely right. it's the way of the future. Um, it's not just to save money. Um, if you have the same thing that you're going to be doing over and over again, even if you've got playbooks and run books and you're doing this every day of the week you're going to do it differently you're going to do it out of you're going to do the tasks out of order you're going to do i don't know something slightly differently today than you did yesterday and you're going to get a different result and Mm -hmm. it's going to come by back to bite you you're going to end up with technical debt right do it with automation always do it exactly the same you know the outcome you know exactly where you're going what you're going to have at the end of that um procedure Happy customers, happy partners. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. So so essentially it's a key part of building that building that trust. Another another thing that we we often speak about is um how you use well architected reviews to to onboard customers to build that trust. Take us through that process. Well, that's the first thing we do um, is a well architected review because mm-hmm. not only does it help you to um, understand the the customer's business. But you also right. get to understand how they think and and how they operate. Uh, we often go through the first first couple of questions in the well architected review, mm-hmm. and the customers like, okay, but explain to me how this applies to me. Yeah, and you know that whole process. And then, sort of by a third of the way through the well architected review, you can actually see on their faces how they're understanding how this is helping them. Right, and then. When you get to my favorite question, which is about RTO and RPO. Um, right. Specifically, um, disaster recovery and, and recovery yeah. point objectives, recovery time objectives. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to leave that in as an Easter egg there, Richard. <laughs> um, Maybe next Specifically time. on that yeah. question, um, you see them thinking about it. And I think that, for me, 
is the best part of doing a well-architected review because mm -hmm. the customer immediately sees the value and goes, oh dear, I haven't this really thought makes of this. Sense. This wow. makes sense. This is what I need. And that means that when you onboard that customer, they've immediately got faith in you. They understand mm -hmm. that you know what you're doing and yeah. you've got credibility. Because ultimately you are talking about risk to their business and how to mitigate it. So you're very clearly squarely in their corner on this, backing them yeah. up. Hundred percent, fantastic. Um, I think that's uh, that's an amazing that's an amazing story, Wayne. And um, thank you. Uh, but unfortunately, that's that's all we've got time for today. But I hope that's given our audience some really good insights on how we can work better together to serve our well architected uh, customers. And really, do get in touch with your AWS account team to learn more about the well architected partner program. I think, as Wayne says, it's it's proved a huge amount of value, and uh, there might be some good stuff there. Um, Wayne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much, Richard. And for me, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Partner Buzz. And please make sure that you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. We look forward to joining you next time. Bye.